Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hey, it's Ty Smith of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Adam Bocas. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs. Hey, it's Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hi, I'm Dominic Fox. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Hills Oilers. It's Joe O'Brien. Hi, it's Barrett Hayden of the Sioux Greyhounds. Brady Kachuk from the Boston University Terriers. Major Junior. In the 100th year of the Memorial Cup, the Ankeny Panthers T-Tall have won it for the first time. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. The Buffalo Sabres are proud to select Trollunda defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. And more. Oh, yes! Oh, my goodness. We're not going home yet, baby! This is the Pipeline Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. My name is Guy Flaming. Thanks again for stopping by if you're a regular listener and you're still following the show through the quote-unquote off-season. Well, I really appreciate you doing that. And if you're a newcomer to the program, then welcome to the Pipeline Show, and I hope that you'll be back for more. As always here, we start in this first segment with the question of the day, which I only put on Twitter just moments ago, so not expecting a lot of uh, feedback just yet. Uh, and it's a, a kind of a in-depth question, because you got to think about it a little bit. Uh, who's going to lead each team in scoring at the Holinka gretzky Cup, which starts on August 5th? And folks, that's right around the corner. It's uh, As I'm speaking with you right now, it's July 27th, so... Uh, we're talking about less than 10 days, I, th- I think, my math. But lots of hockey going right now. We'll get to uh, what's happening in uh, the news and notes section momentarily. But uh, to answer that question, there are eight teams playing in the tournament. You've got Canada, the Czech Republic, Finland, Russia, Slovakia, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United States. So I need eight names. Or if you only know a couple of teams and, and want to go uh, the route that Lucas just has, you can do that as well. He says Cole Perfetti for Team Canada, and he's picked out Blake Biondi uh, for the Americans. And he also says he's now just jinxed both of them. We'll see. Probably not bad picks there at all. And the Holinka Gretzky, well, the, the, the rosters aren't finalized yet. The camp's opening up here right away. Well, some of the teams have theirs uh, finalized, but the Canada does, does not. And some of the draft-eligible players this year won't be in this tournament because uh, I look at a team like uh, Sweden and uh, Raymond and Holtz. They played last year in Edmonton, so I don't know. I don't expect them. I, I should look this up, but I would be uh, surprised if they're not uh, in Plymouth uh, playing in the, uh, the Summer Showcase, which is also going on right now, and I'll touch on that in a second. But that's the question of the day. You can find it on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy, and uh, you can... A reply to that, I, I use the flags just because it takes less characters, they, like the Canadian flag and Quinton Byfield or whoever you think is going to lead Canada in scoring. You can do it that way. Let's move on to uh, the news and notes. And as I mentioned, there is some hockey going on right now in Plymouth. The uh, U.S. Summer Showcase is underway. The Americans are playing as we speak. Uh, Nick Robertson has uh, scored this morning. Uh, the Canadian portion of that, they're uh, getting set to practice here this uh, weekend, and then they'll take a team down to Plymouth and, and join in the festivities there with uh, the U.S., Sweden, and Finland. Also, U-17 camp just wrapped up in Calgary, and the then Holinka Gretzky camp uh, 
will get going as well, and that team will head overseas. You can watch the camp uh, down in Cowtown. They're playing at the uh, Mark and McPhail Center, the Windsport at the Windsport Arena in Calgary. Uh, three inter-squad games. Uh, they're playing Sunday at 6, Monday at 3, and a Tuesday at 10.30 in the morning. Then they'll pick the team. They'll head overseas and get ready for the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which, again, starts on the 5th of August. All eight teams will be in action. The first game of the tournament, Canada defending champs and taking on Finland. The U.S. will play Russia. The Czechs and the Swiss will get together, and Slovakia and Sweden open the tournament as well. Each team will play uh, three and three to start the tournament. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all th- all eight teams are in action. And then they have uh, Thursday off, and then uh, they get they finish it up on Friday and Saturday. So a very quick tournament. Meanwhile, Canada gets down to uh, Plymouth for the U-20 showcase. Uh, they all play the U.S. on uh, Tuesday, so uh, they'll be heading down there right away. Unfortunately, but there's a long list of players uh, invited by Canada to the summer camp, unable to uh, participate due to uh, injury or uh, other situations. Dylan Cousins, Ty Delandria, Noah Dobson, Cole Fonstadt, Barrett Hayton, Peyton Krebs, Jared McIsaac, Ty Smith, all not uh, able to participate here in the uh, the summer I think a number of those guys will be on the team, or I would be surprised if they're not on the team. I, I mean, Ty Smith, if he's not in the NHL, uh, he's going to be on that team, and I would expect Peyton Krebs and Noah Dobson, Ty Delandria, and Dil- I think Dylan Cousins has a really good shot at it, Barrett Hayton again. I mean, quite honestly, the the guy out of that mix that uh, I would consider maybe a bubble guy is Cole Fonstad, uh, and he could still make that team. Uh, but So tough for those guys not to be involved here in the summer to, to make that uh that big impression early on in the process. As for other news and notes, uh, it seems like it's all quiet uh, south of the border and in the NCAA still waiting to hear what's happening with the two Alaska programs uh, for this coming season, but uh, nothing has come out uh, just yet. Uh, USHL, all things quiet and still have an invite out uh, for uh, Tom Garrity to uh, come on the show here. We've got, uh, well, this is the second last show of season 14, season 15. We're not doing it. So ask the commission will continue today with uh, one guest I have two interviews lined up next week. I'll tell you about that uh, later on in the show. But uh, invite to the USHL is out there. I just have not been able to reconfirm a date and time. was supposed to have that conversation with uh, Mr. Garrity last week, and it fell through uh, the day of the interview. Anyway, might as well just get to what's coming down the pipe today, as there is only one guest on the show today. Really fun interview, though. Kim Davis, he's the commissioner of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. When I first put it out there on Twitter uh, that uh, I was open to, you know, whichever leagues you, the listener, wanted to to learn more about, the MJHL was one of the first ones that uh, was requested, and I put that request in with uh, the league office uh, very, very early on. It took a while for it to, to come to fruition, but uh, really enjoyed the conversation with Kim Davis. I think that you will like that, too. He is the only guest today. Uh, I will update you on a request that I had for the KIJHL as... It's the Junior B League in BC. It's the uh, Kootenai League. And uh, quite honestly, I know there are players that come out of it and go on and play Junior A or even up to the WHL. And there's a smattering of guys who have then proceeded on and played professionally in, in, at the NHL level. But quite honestly, the KIJHL, really off my radar. Uh, so I didn't know a whole lot about the league. There were a number of people who, a uh, number of listeners who told me on Twitter they wanted me to talk about the KIJHL. So I put in the request, uh, and here's the reply that I just got a couple of days ago. 
Uh, it's not going to happen, uh, but uh, Larry Martell, who is the uh, acting commissioner uh, of the KIJHL, uh, explained why in his uh, in his email. says, thanks for the invite uh, for the show. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He says, the, uh, the Kootenai International is still going through the governance process, and I am in the position just on an interim basis. I filled in as president last season, and we went through the long process of making changes to our constitution and new management structure. We've been set up as a volunteer organization for the past 52 years with a president and four vice presidents and a treasurer that looks after all the financial stuff. Many team governors concluded that this setup didn't keep up with the changes in the hockey business, and our two-and-a-half-year discussion went into making changes on how we wanted to be governed. Uh, long story short, they are in the process of uh, looking for a chairman of the board who will then hire a commissioner. Uh, and he also goes on to say that he, here's the quote, I may not be the commissioner after the uh, due diligence is done. I already have a good job and the new commissioner position is not a part-time volunteer, but a paid full-time position like it is in other junior leagues. So he might not be the commissioner. Uh, and if, for that reason, he's not going to come on the show and represent the KIJHL, which I completely understand. He says, once we have hired a commissioner, I'm sure we would love to talk to Junior B Hockey on the Pipeline show. He says, our model is different from other Junior B leagues in Canada. We tend to be younger and more of a developmental league for those players that aren't quite ready for Junior A or Major Junior. We are a large league, 20 teams covering most of southern B.C., and we have other communities in more northern regions of the province looking at getting into the junior hockey game. So that was from Larry Martell. I did put in the request uh, as the you, the audience, uh, wanted me to talk KIJHL, but it's not going to happen this year. But once they have a commissioner in place, maybe this time next year we'll be talking about the KIJHL. I just wanted you to know that I didn't just uh, get your uh, requests and, you know, throw them in the bin. Uh, I did try to set that up. No WHL segment this week, so no In the Dub segment, which is always brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. You can stay up to date on everything happening in the WHL, though. Uh, make Dub Network. You should just favorite it or uh, bookmark it on your toolbar, uh, so that's easy to find and uh, a good reminder to stay up to date on everything around the Western Hockey League. There's been some signings and things like that. Adam Deadmarsh just uh, re-signed with the uh, Spokane Chiefs to be an assistant coach. I saw that at uh, Dub Network, and uh, some teams... Uh, including the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, have signed their uh, import player, their new import player. He's from Finland. His name is Yassi Seppala. And uh, small guy, but uh, looks like he has some offensive hands. And uh, see what he can bring to the team as the camps open up. Boy, a month from today, uh, we'll be uh, back in the ranks for sure. So all our WHL segments, we refer to those as in-the-dub segments. They're all brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. All right, but let's get to the show, and as I mentioned, only one guest. He's a good one, though. Kim Davis, the commissioner of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. That leads off the show next. Smirnov breaks across, turns it over to Allison. Here he comes, one-on-one. Allison, deep left, shoots, scores! He undressed a defender at the right slot. He went backhander, turned to the forehand, and wristed it under Wisho. Hey, I'm Wade Allison from the Tri-City Storm, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Benning to the middle, Mitchell grabs it, walks in on the backhand, shoots, and scores! 
The Spruce Grove Saints are excited to unveil their first ever hockey school. Taking place August 19th to 23rd right here at the Grant Fear Arena. Brought to you by Subway and Humpty's Restaurants of Spruce Grove. This one-week hockey school includes over 10 hours of on- and off-ice instruction from Saints coaching staff and current Saints players. Each camp participant will receive a camp jersey and a t-shirt to keep and have one on-ice and one off-ice session per day. Each day will have a specific focus to enhance the skating, shooting, and puck handling skills of each player. Both boys and girls of all levels of all experience are encouraged to come out and take part. To cap off the week, each group will have a Subway sub-party with the Saints coaches up in the lounge. Visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca to sign up for the Hockey School now. Click on the Hockey School tab on the right side of the page. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. We are back on the Pipeline Show. My only guest this week as we continue on with the Ask the Commission segment. Uh, that makes, makes it a, a CJHL uh, Insider segment. The CHL Insider is usually brought to you by the store next door out in Nova Scotia, in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, turning your broken hockey sticks into some uh, really cool products for your fan cave or your sports bar uh, and employing people with disabilities. That's the store next door. .ca. Uh, go out and check out what they can do for you. Uh, my guest today as we continue on with Ask the Commission, is the commissioner of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. That's uh, Kim Davis. Uh, Kim, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for having me on. It's, uh, you know, obviously middle of July here or whatever, latter part of <laughs> July. It's, uh, uh, it's nice to, you know, be kind of in the middle of the summer and enjoying some, some time off and, uh, and what have you, but, uh, it won't be long before we're back at it again. It's funny because I've been talking to several commissioners or, or people who run leagues, uh, over the course of this month. And what I'm quickly finding out is even though it's an off season for the teams and for the players and, and for to some extent media guys like me, there's not a whole lot of off season for someone in your position. Uh, this is a, a 12 month of the year job, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And, uh, um, and particularly in, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, maybe 20 years ago, um, it wasn't quite as, as intense as it is now in, in the summer, but the summer is certainly a, a lot less, uh, intense if I could use that word again, but, but it, but it's still, there's lots of, there's lots of things to do, mostly planning and, and scheduling type things for the upcoming season. And, uh, there isn't really a whole lot of time off. Uh, you know, if you, if a person can get a couple of weeks uh, of holidays, 
uh, I think they're doing quite well. And I've always managed to do that, but you're always kind of on call as well. If there's uh, inquiries that come up uh, and, and various other things that might be uh, might be on uh, on the agenda. So anything specific you've been dealing with here in the last month or so? Um, no, uh, not, it's actually been fairly quiet this summer in our league. Um, and, um, and which, which is good because I think it gives everyone an opportunity. Uh, you know, m- my interpretation of that is that the people that we deal with, the coaches and, and general managers typically, and, and the marketing people in some cases as well, they're, they're taking a little bit of time to, uh, to take some holidays because it, it's really important as, as we discussed a moment ago, it's a pretty intense game and it's very important. Uh, and a lot of, and a lot of important decisions get, you know, get made by, by the people running our clubs and, uh, and then the league office as well. So it's, it's really good to get a break. So that's the way I'm interpreting the quietness. Uh, we haven't had a, a great deal of, uh, controversy of any kind really over the course of the summer, which is, which is nice. That is nice for sure. All right. Let's get to know the MJHL a little bit. Uh, what were some of the highlights sure. for your team, for your league last year? Uh, some of the things that stand out for you? Well, uh, you know, a couple of things, um, we, we've had for quite a number of years um, you know, a really, a really balanced league uh, in terms of the on-ice play, and um, that certainly was a big, uh, uh, you know, a major theme of our league this year. We, um, you know, there, there were, you know, when the, when the playoffs started, there was probably six teams that had a legitimate chance at, uh, at, uh, you know, competing for the the championship, and, and as it turns out. We had one team that that has has been in the final quite a bit in the last ten years, and mm-hmm. another team that hadn't ever been in the final. And so, the, you know, Swan Valley being in the final was was just a great, uh, I think, uh, performance on their part, and really energized that community as you know going forward. So you know, we're hoping for you know a great sort of repeat season from them uh, coming up, and and of course the Portis Terriers had a great season as well, and and. You know, the the final of our league uh, was probably the highlight. Uh, you know, it went seven games, and, and in the seventh game, the game went into overtime. So, I mean, we, we hadn't had that in 23 years where, where we had that type of a final. And so it was unbelievably exciting, and for everybody involved, whatever, whatever side you were cheering for if you were a fan, but just certainly for the league office and our staff here, uh, it was just a, a great uh, a great for us to witness that, and, and it really... Uh, Really was a big theme of, of of our playoff season. The other the other uh, thing I think that would be uh, important to note is that we had um, um, kind of the resurgence of the way we scapel Wolverines, who had had a couple of really bad years prior, uh, both on and off the ice, but they really rebounded and and really you know had a, had a, a very good season. Yeah, uh, uh, you know made the playoffs and uh, and it really I think turned things around as it relates to. Uh, what they're doing in their community and, and the type of operation they're building. And then the other, the other thing of note is we had two teams change hands in terms of ownership. And so it's, um, that's the Winnipeg blues and the ocean blizzard. So it's really going to be exciting to see how those two new ownership groups, um, you know, make their, make their, their imprint on, on the league going forward here. So, uh, um, you know, always we have great performances by players too. And, um, you know, we certainly had that again this year with uh, particularly, you know, some younger players in our league, uh, like Owen Murray, a defenseman in Portage, a 16-year-old player who just really stood out uh, and, and was a, a tremendous uh, breath, fresh, young uh, air in our league. And, uh, um, you know, overall, we just had a, you know, a real, a real solid season.
Kim, uh, I want to ask you about those Portage Terriers. As you mentioned, uh, quite the run they've been on. I believe it's eight championships in the last 12 years. That is uh, a significant, uh, not just a hot streak, but uh, you, you, I mean, we talk about dynasties in sports. That is a pretty mm-hmm. significant uh, uh, run of success. What is it about uh, what's happening in Portage that, that's led to that much success? Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, people in my position, we don't, you know, we don't get to know the ins and outs of, of, of how teams operate and what have you. But, but, but I can say, um, you know, just at, from my vantage point, if you will, you know, they're an organization that, that they just, they just do, they just have a really disciplined manner and way about doing their business, both off ice and on ice. And, um, you know, they're committed to a high standard. And I think, you know, just generally the players that, that they recruit, they come in and they get that message fairly quickly. And so if, if the, if the players that, the new players that are recruited, uh, adjust to that, to that standard, whatever that sort of that culture and standard is, then they'll, um, you know, they'll embrace it and they'll have success. And if the, if those particular individual players don't, then they're usually, uh, replaced with others that will. So uh, I just think that it's, you know, they, they, they just stick to their, their system and their process for recruiting players and, uh, and training players and coaching players. And it's, it's a method that seems to be working. And again, you know, that's just a general comment. That's kind of what I, what I see. Um, you know, I guess the, the opposing view would be, you know, sometimes there's teams in, in, you know, leagues across the country, including ours that, you know, if things don't go right after a short while, they, they make a change here or they make a change there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for stability and consistency and, and just working your plan year after year. Now, again, uh, you know, that's not saying a whole, that's, that's a fairly, a fairly general uh, perspective, I, I would say. But that's how I, that's how I view that organization. They, you know, they're just very stable. Um, they 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 have good solid methods. Otherwise, they they wouldn't be successful, and and they they consistently apply them. Now there, I mean, it's eleven an eleven team league. It's up to the other ten teams yeah. to knock them off that perch. But from the outside looking in, is it, or maybe from your perspective, is it a a bad thing mm-hmm. to have one team that's so dominant? Um, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing per se. I mean, you know, um, you mentioned the the championships. The the, the the terriers have won over you know twelve or fifteen years. I mean, th- those those teams have all been different, made up of different players. You know, I mean, there, there might be a couple of years consecutively where there's where there's uh, a lot of the same roster. Right. But by and large, the rosters for every team in the league change significantly from year to year. So, you know, the fact that that um, that they've been successful is probably all the more remarkable. But all the more reflective of what the comments I made, I, I believe. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it, it, it's a competitive league, and, and it's up to the other teams, as you referenced at the outset of the question. It's up to the other teams to to respond to that, and and they do. Like they, you know, we've had some big battles. I mean, I, sometimes what what people don't see when when they look just at the numbers is they don't see you know, the, what took place to get that. And mm-hmm. there, even though Portage has won some, some, you know, a fair number of uh, championships, they haven't been easy. And I think they'd be the first ones to admit that some of them, he could have went another way, like, like last year. I mean, you know, Swan could have easily been the champion, you know, going into a game seven and the game went into overtime. So, um, you know, 
again, just uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, it's up to the other teams to respond. And I think they there's a there's a healthy degree of uh, of uh, competitiveness competitiveness amongst the both the owners of the other teams and the, the coaching staffs and the players too. So, Kim, when did you uh, assume the role of commissioner of the league? Um, it was um, it was in uh, 2002. So I'm in my 18th year. Okay. And uh, it, you know, it's been you know, I, I've, I've over the course of the summer, I've met some friends of mine that I haven't seen uh, for you know several months. Uh, I usually see them in the summer and not during the winter. And uh, we had discussions about that, and they just looked at me with wide eyes. They couldn't believe that it had been that long. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's um, when I think back on it, and, and particularly um, in one of the comments you made earlier, I mean, there's been a lot of change in the game over this over this time frame. And, and even, you know, even before that, um, if you look back at the last 20 years of, of, of hockey at the high levels, including ours and, and, and beyond into the NHL, there's been a lot of change, um, not just on the hockey side, but you know how how technology has um, um, improved and infiltrated the game. And mm-hmm. I, I I don't mean I don't mean to use the word infiltrate in a negative connotation at all. It's a very positive, but j- just the just the the uh, the influence of, of technology, for example, on on the game in that over the course of my career uh, in, in the in the game here with the MJHL has been quite remarkable and uh but yeah for me it it has been uh this is my 18th year and it's been a long uh it's a long it's been a long uh, road and a, and a good road but uh i'm looking forward to this upcoming season again though for sure the mjhl is uh one of 10 leagues that make up the uh, canadian junior hockey league we've had uh the the uh Commissioner of the CJHL on uh, earlier this month, and uh, one of your counterparts from Saskatchewan and Bill Chow, he was on uh, a couple uh-huh. of weeks ago as well. Every league seems right. to have their own unique characteristic about them, and and I'm, I'm sure across the country, I mean, there's so much uh, differences, uh, just uh, in a lot of spectrums across the country. What, what makes the MJHL mm-hmm. unique? What sort of specific uh, uh, challenges do you have? I mean, obviously, one of them is you got a giant lake that takes up about a third of the province. Uh, but <laughs> outside of that, um, I mean, what what sort of things uh, make your league different? Well, you know, um, I, there's a couple things, and, and I don't know how significant they are, but but the things that I think of, I mean, w- one thing that that um, um, uh, that I think helps in our league is that you know, um, and and it, and it's and it's a major focus of of sort of the, the everyday life of, of people in Manitoba. Like we've got 75% of the population living in Winnipeg in this mm. province. Uh, and, and, and there's, there's definitely uh, a rural urban dichotomy in the province. Uh, and sometimes it, it, it takes on negative uh, connotations. Uh, often it does, I would say um, both, you know, in the political context and, and just in, you know, other activities that people engage in. Uh, as it relates to our league, I mean, within within uh, we have one team in Winnipeg, and my office is in Winnipeg. I operate in Winnipeg here. Um, within within a, a radius of a couple of hours, we've got you know eighty uh, percent of, of our league. You know, maybe within three hours. So, you know, most of the games that occur are within sort of this this you know the hub of Winnipeg, and not that Winnipeg is the hub, but I guess in some respects it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that that when when uh, with most of our games, uh, you know, players 
and and the buses that go out to play in say Dauphin or or Erden or Nipua, the players are back in their own bed, whether they're billet in a billet home or in their own parents' home uh, nightly, which is a good thing. Now there are some road trips, so the the road trips and the travel. Uh, they they happen up to the north teams and 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 when the north teams teams come down south, but by and large most games players are back in their own bed on a nightly basis, which is which makes it more appealing I think to uh, to, to young players you know when they when they know that so so that's certainly you know one team um, you know and just in terms of uniqueness I, I I think you know we're kind of in the middle of the country right I mean you know that's always the way I look at it anyway and. And uh, people in Manitoba are, and 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 it's the same. I I find with with uh, you know with our hockey teams here in our league, um, we uh, we're people that don't rock the boat necessarily too much. You know, we we're kind of mediators. We kind of bridge the gap between uh, points of view from the west and the east of the country. The same kind of thing happens in hockey. Um, we're you know Manitoba people are. You can count on them. Uh, and, and you can think about that in the hockey context. The players that play in our league are—they're just—they're just, they're just tough-minded people. They—they're—they're they're not necessarily the most flashy, although there are some great skilled players in our league too. But they're people you can count on to get the job done on a nightly basis, and that's really the way that the teams operate too. They're—they're they're not flashy. They—they they know what they have to do and they do it. And uh, you know, it's not maybe necessarily a recipe for Hollywood per se, but. Uh, it's something that that's dependable and consistent and you know what you're getting with them every night. So that's, that's kind of what the league's like too, you know, like it and, and how we operate the league. Uh, we, uh, we, um, you know, just, just take that sort of consistent approach and, you know, do the same things that work every night, every, every day. Uh, I know some of the the rules across the CJHL are uh, slightly different from league to league. How many uh, overage players a, a team can have can vary from league to league. Some leagues have a draft. Some are based on recruiting. Uh, in those two aspects, so what are the the uh, the policies for the MJHL? Um, you know, that's a good question. We uh, we have a draft of fifteen uh, uh, year old players, so players that are entering their they're in their fifteenth year. Uh, so and so that's for Manitoba born players only. Um, so Bantam players, um, we have that draft at our AGM weekend every year. Uh, it's a six round draft. Uh, there's 11 teams, so there's roughly 66 players uh, drafted every year. Uh, prior to the draft, there's also a uh, every team in the league is, allo- is allowed to auto protect uh, two pl- two draft eligible players from their own their own uh, footprint or their own region. Uh, which is well defined, uh, and so yeah, those 22 players as well. Then there are the 88 players that are technically set aside in the in the draft component mm. on an annual basis, and those players typically form the basis of of the the roster of teams roughly two two to three years uh, after they're drafted. And um, so that's the, uh, the in a nutshell, that's the draft uh, that we have, and we've we've had the draft for probably close to 15 years now and uh it's it's a it's a really uh important part of uh, uh and piece for each team in terms of building you know strength uh of their roster uh year to year and and it's been very successful um i i've been so impressed over that entire time at how um professional and how diligent and dedicated the scouts that work for each of our teams are 
just in terms of the, the the work and the research they do over the course of the winter to prepare for the draft when we have it. It's it's really impressive. Uh, yeah, they just do tremendous work. Um, as it relates to the roster component, uh, our league uh, it pr- permits uh, seven 20-year-old players yeah. to be on a team's roster, and um, and then the other uh, roster spots are are um, made up of. Uh, there's no limits on the other age uh, categories for the roster, apart from uh, 16-year-olds, where all teams across the country are are, are limited to two 16-year-olds. Right. Uh, I know uh, certainly the the BCHL it's pretty prevalent. A lot of Americans uh, end up, or uh, players from across the country end up playing in the BCHL. We see a bit of that in the Alberta Junior League as well. Uh, how many uh, non-Manitoba-born players uh, come to play in the MJHL? The, the rough uh, breakdown um, for our league over really over the last 12 to 15 years is that we have about 68% of the players on our rosters are Manitoba players. Okay. And then we have about, you know, 10% uh, from Saskatchewan. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of it would be, you know, Ontario, Alberta, BC, and some, and American players as well. The one, the one category that's kind of going up is, uh, is us, uh, born players um it's not going up by leaps and bounds but it's going up steadily on an annual basis uh last year i think we had like 40 you know across the 11 teams wow. 40 uh u.s players I, I might be off a bit on the number exactly but uh certainly the number has been going up um and um but again you know apart from that like there's there's you know a few from quebec usually some from the maritimes so, uh, some from Ontario, some from Alberta, some from BC, uh, you know, in roughly equal numbers across like BC and Alberta, there'd be more and, and, and some from Ontario and then the others less so. Uh, but that's, that's the general sort of breakdown the, from a Manitoba point of view, which is our, our most, the, the, the number I look at as most important is it's been almost, you know, really steady at about 68% across for the last, you know, you know, like say 12 years or so. Kim, uh, what's the relationship uh, between the MJHL and the Western Hockey League like? Uh, there's for the longest time, it's just been the Brandon Wheat Kings, and I think, uh, correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, Brandon I think is the biggest or the second biggest uh, market uh, in the province, and and now Winnipeg also has a WHL franchise. Uh, when you when you saw the uh, Kootenay Ice were moving to Winnipeg, did you wince a little bit, or uh, what's the relationship uh, like between the two leagues? You know, I, I think the relationship is good. Uh, I, I think it could be better. And, and the way I think it could be better is if there was more uh, active uh, dialogue and, and, uh, and communication uh, between the league, uh, uh, between the league offices in particular. Uh, and and the, the main reason for that is because, you know, both, both leagues, you know, and not just our league, but the SJHL, AJHL, BC Hockey League, uh, we, uh, we all have similar issues uh, as the Western Hockey League does because the players are roughly the same age, right? So, so there's a lot of things that we could all kind of learn from in terms of you know having some open dialogue with with our counterparts. Uh, so I think that's the one area where it, where it could be better. But it's not it's not a bad it, it's a good relationship. But certainly could you know I think there'd be room for it to make it even stronger. Um, you know as it relates to uh, um, um, the Kootenay Ice uh, relocating here with, with the ownership group. Um, you know, I, I didn't win really because to me, I, I think, um, uh, first of all, they're a top notch, 
top-notch organization. Uh, they've had some lean years out in, in Cranbrook, but they, uh, they're, they're well-managed. Uh, they have strong ownership. And the, the, the reason I didn't wince is because they're a really good organization, and I think they're going to bring more notoriety to the game of hockey in, in our market here in Manitoba. And that, that's good for everybody, really. Uh, I, I believe anyway um, the you know much like we you know we you and I discussed about uh, the Portage Terriers and the um, and the reaction that the other teams in the league have to their success the same thing would apply in this in this case I mean uh, the, the teams in our league uh, at the junior A level have to improve their their level of operation to uh, account for this new uh, entry in the market and if if they uh, accept that challenge and take to it and improve their operation then then they really have nothing to worry about um, the, the the Western Hockey League team whether there's one or two or five in this province they're gonna they're gonna operate the way they operate they're they're very positive in how they do things and uh, you know I think that's what everyone else including myself and and the teams in the MJHL have to do as well you know I mean it's uh, um, you know, and, and even strictly at, at the sort of the street level, like put it that way, I mean, any, any team, you know, they only have 20, 20, 22 players. I mean, so, yeah. you know, once they've got their team, there's lots of other players out there that, you know, that, that can be recruited and, 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 and uh, encouraged to, to, to play. So, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I think people make too much out of, out of those sorts of things. So. Kim Davis is the commissioner of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, speaking of the uh, the um, Major Junior Loop, um, some news out in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League about a, a hazing incident a couple of years ago, and there's been occasionally uh, that has uh, sprung up uh, in uh, different sports as well, and I think in this day and age, I think everybody is on, on the same page that hazing is, there's no place for it anymore. I know your league had an incident back in 2011 that you had to deal with, uh, what's the league's policy when it comes to hazing now? I know when you you uh, uh, find, uh, I believe it was like five grand or something like that, and uh, a bunch of suspensions that were handed out. Um, looking back on it now and, and moving forward and how that establishes sort of a league policy, what is the policy if, if something like that were to happen again? Um, you know, our policy is, you know, essentially a, a zero tolerance policy. Um, and, and that's very much in keeping with, uh, you know, the Hockey Canada, uh, regulation regarding uh, this type of activity, uh, which is, which is basically the same. I mean, there is a zero tolerance for it. And, and, you know, if there are, um, um, uh, incidents that, that, uh, that go against the regulation and then the policy that the league has, then, then, you know, there's severe sanctions that, that, uh, that could result. And, um, you know, so so that's and we we've made that very very clear to each of the teams right from the outset of this the most recent incident that you talked about, which is obviously quite some time ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having said that, uh, on a on a practical uh, basis, we um, since uh, since 2011 we've uh, implemented a um, a um, a program whereby. Um, um, we, we source materials from the Red Cross, who are who are very skilled in in uh, uh, communicating the, um, uh, the the pitfalls of, of that type of activity that, that typically sports teams engage in. And so each team in our league is required to uh, present those materials to their team, their roster, uh, annually um, during the preseason. 
And uh, further to that, and, and there's probably, um, there's two or three different methods they can do it. They can do it either through a PowerPoint presentation or, or just have an in-person meeting with their, with their players. Obviously, you know, the, the PowerPoint would be in person as well. But um, it, it's very clear that they're supposed to um, present that material to their, to their players and, and emphasize the zero tolerance and the, the serious repercussions that could happen. And then in addition to that, the, the head coach and the governor of the team are required to sign an affidavit uh, stating the date and the time that they held the meeting and that the players were duly informed. And then that, that affidavit is uh, stored with the league office uh, annually. And so we've had full compliance from uh, each of our teams every year since, uh, since 2011. And obviously you know, when we when those types of incidents occur, uh, sometimes they they you know they sneak up on you in the sense that you know I think organizations and, and we were guilty of it we got complacent and uh, but but we're not complacent any longer and you and you need to just stay on top of it you know and I I don't know a whole lot about the the, uh, the Quebec uh, incident that you discussed I heard just very very briefly about it but. Mm. And, and I don't want to presuppose or, or stick my neck in anywhere where it doesn't belong. But, but um, you know, I, I think, again, it's the type of thing that if you get complacent, you can, you can run into trouble. And, and, and you just can't afford to do that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. We opened it up to some uh, fan questions. We've got a handful that have come in. Uh, let's start with uh, Tyler. Tyler's actually the voice of the uh, Brooks Bandits in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. But uh, big, Okay. I know. You know Tyler? I know Tyler, yeah. All right. He says uh, he'd love to know the long-term vision for the SJHL slash MJHL showcase since it keeps expanding. Uh, he's, he wants to know, do you uh, want it to keep getting bigger and bigger? Um, you know, um, it, it's something that Bill Chow and I have talked about, and we, we would like it to, to, to get bigger. Uh, you know, we, we haven't sort of sketched out a roadmap as to exactly what that would include, but uh, but I can say that we have extended an invitation to the AJHL the past two years to join us at the event, and they've they've declined, although they've been very uh, seriously uh, contemplating it um, uh, for this for this most recent upcoming uh, 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 event, which is in January of 2020. So beyond that, um, um, you know, we we haven't uh, looked too much further, but. You know, it would be great to have a. It would be great to have you know maybe like a six league event. And again, I'm just picking this out of the air. It's not something that Bill Chow and I have discussed specifically, but we we both have said that we would like to make it bigger. And obviously, you know, the AJHL would be a, would be a great uh, addition because of their proximity and also just the quality of the league that uh, and the players that that are playing in it. So, what is the showcase? What is it all about? Well, it's about pro- providing an opportunity. Um, for uh, two groups, really. First of all, um, uh, the youngest players in our league. So we have a, a, an, eight, an 18 and under component, which is one team from each league. Okay. And then in our case, in our case for the past two years with the SJHL and ourselves, we've had two teams of uh, 19 and 20 year old players. And and the, the, the main focus for us was to provide a, a great competitive uh, event for young players in our league who are looking for an opportunity to advance to either major junior hockey or to college, uh, including NCAA and U sports. And then for, um, for the older players, if they've been overlooked up to the point at which they're at 19 or 20, particularly the 20 year olds, 
that this this also gives them an opportunity to to, to play in a very competitive event for a couple of days to see if they can garner some further interest from from uh, clubs at those levels. Okay, so it's it's sort of an all star game event where you have uh, a yes, team. yeah, okay. that that's correct. We we would select you know our coaches. We we, we turn the turn the roster selection over to the coaches in our league who who uh, whose role is to you know put together the best possible rosters uh, for uh, you know that from from the players to represent our league. Gotcha. Uh, I know there was uh, one question that came in. It mentions uh, a player named Braden Bellaney uh, from the Portage Terriers, and I looked him up, and first thing that stood out to me was 642 penalty minutes in 186 games. Uh, the question was asked uh, you about uh, this player. Uh, I think it's a bit of a loaded question. Uh, I imagine it's a, a name that's come across your desk several times. Uh, I know he's too old to play in the league now, so his junior eligibility is up. Maybe I'll ask the question just what your thought is on uh, the role of fighting, I, unless those are a lot of hooking penalties, I imagine he's dropped the gloves a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, the sport has evolved a lot. We, we're learning more and more about concussions uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. We've seen some leagues really step up to try to get uh, headshots and fighting out of the league. Um, what, what's your stance on on fighting? Is there is there a role for fighting in junior hockey anymore? Um, you know, um, I, I I think in some respects there 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 is, but. But at the same time, um, and I've been a fervent supporter of this, we we've got limits uh, to the number of fights that are, the, that a player can have, uh, both in terms of in one in one single game, which is limited to one, and then over the course of the season as well. And so, um, I think the the the, the you know the, uh, um, the the notion of a fight is is an outlet for players, uh, you know, to to uh, uh, you know, get rid of some some negative emotion, if you will, that that re- results from the the nature of the game and, and the contact and what happens in the, in a game. But uh, you know, uh, we can't have it go back to the situation where it was on. Uh, I'm just not getting the right word here, but where where it was unlimited as to you know the, that type of activity. And so now we've got a limited, and I think you know in our case, uh, which is you know across the country by virtue of the junior A supplement guidelines that we all participate in, mm-hmm. in which I was uh, you know a major part in establishing about ten years ago now. Um, we we've got a limited to five uh, for the season. Uh, we are discussing at the national level with, with the CGHL of limiting that, lowering that. And, and I think it's, it's appropriate because if you look at the statistics, you know, fighting is going down. And, and really, if you look at in our case, you know, we've got roughly 250 players. I, I bet you there's 125 players that don't even have one fight. Yeah. So we're talking about, we're talking about an activity that only applies to a portion of the players in the league. So, you know, even if we lowered it, it, it probably wouldn't have any impact at all on on most of the players in the league. And then the other side of things, which, you know, again, I'm a strong proponent of, in the last, you know, ever since the NHL um, uh, changed the, the focus of their game to limiting or um, getting rid of the, the obstruction uh, uh, behaviors that, that players were engaged in, uh, the game has gotten better. It's gotten faster. Uh, players are, are, are allowed to skate now and use, you know, their, their skating speed and, and, and strength to, to make plays in, 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 in a game. And that's, 
and that's filtered down almost immediately filtered right down to the the junior a level and even below that so we've got in, in terms of the nature and the state of the game right now across north well, across the world really in this in this case the game is 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 just a tremendously fast skilled game with superior athletes that are bigger and faster and stronger and more better conditioned uh, they're they're better uh, they're better they have better flexibility better resilience all the things you need to be a top athlete and uh, so the game is better and so you know the fact that we're even having a, a discussion about fighting is almost kind of kind of silly in a way because it's in my in my view it's almost an afterthought these days um, and I and and I could probably see you know maybe in ten years there won't be any any fighting mm. I mean. Players that come into our league now, let's say it's a 17-year-old player, it doesn't matter what, you pick any league. Uh, if you ask them, and I've done this with, with the teams in our league because we do preseason presentations to all our teams in person. If you ask a player that's 17, um, do you want to be the best fighter in the league as you enter the league? Mm-hmm. There isn't one of them that will say yes. Yeah. Not, not one. So it's not why players play the game. But uh, having said that, it does offer an outlet at times. And so, you know, if we closely manage it, I think it'll, it's not something that's going to uh, ruin the game, uh, but it won't, uh, you know, so I just think we just have to be, just be mindful of that and, and keep monitoring it and keep, keep on it. But, uh, but the game is a lot better now than, 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 it, than it's ever been in terms of the quality for sure. Last uh, fan question to get to. Uh, it's about expansion. Now, it's an 11-team league, so a little bit of uh, imbalance mm-hmm. there. Maybe 12 would be more comfortable. Uh, the, I guess the question yeah. is, is the expansion in the future? What would you know be the right fit? Uh, listener Brian even goes as far as saying uh, Kenora is, uh, now that's Kenora, Ontario, but they're part of the Manitoba mm-hmm. Midget System. Would that be a fit for you guys? The uh, Kenora has been... Uh a part of the MJHL in, in an earlier uh, iteration, for sure, although that's quite some time ago now. Um, in, in terms of uh, its location, it would be excellent, uh, for sure, I think. And, and there, you know, that question has come up at the board table from time to time. The, the, the biggest issue, though, is that um, it, it is in Ontario, and there is a league, uh, you know, we have a counterpart league, the SIJHL, uh, in that uh, in that region. So, you know, they, that that's... You know, uh, that's where they should be. If there were interest from an ownership group there, that's um, we, if a group wanted to join our league and play in that location, we would have to have the approval of the SIJHL, which right. you know to me is not likely, um, and you know it's it's not something that we would pursue um, uh, in terms of taking the initiative on it. Uh, we obviously have to be respectful of of our counterpart league next door. But to the extent that uh, that we had the approval, and again, that's all hypothetical, then I, I think that's something that that could, could be positively uh, positively embraced. And uh, but but we are uh, just as a lead, we're we're actively looking at uh, you know at some other markets uh, presently, and have been for the last eighteen months or so. And we're hoping that uh, that that those can turn into something positive. But uh, there's nothing that's sort of imminent or anything of that nature. So. I don't want to get people's uh, hopes up too too high, but there are there are some some communities that we are looking very very closely at, and we're hoping that over the course of the next maybe eighteen months to two years that we can turn those into uh, into new franchises. 
Kim, last one uh, for you today, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah. The CHL, the Canadian Hockey League, is is facing a class action lawsuit uh, from some uh, former players who are looking to get um, minimum wage payments and back payments and things like that. I, I wonder, do you have any concerns of how that could trickle down to your league? I mean, your players are on buses as well, and, and I'm sure they, they do community work as well, visiting schools and, and read-in week and, and things yeah. like that. Do you have any concerns about the, what's happening at the major junior hockey league level and how that might filter down to other levels of amateur sport? Uh, yes, uh, for sure I do. And, and, you know, obviously we're, we're, um, it, it's a kind of a slow moving, uh, um, lawsuit, uh, as you know. Sure. I mean, not a lot, at least in terms of, you know, public, uh, disclosure has, has occurred. But we're, we're very interested in, in, in the outcome for sure. And, and we, you know, we are, uh, you know, in support of uh, the CHL and their in their stance, uh, uh, fighting and opposing it, uh, because uh, you know, if it were to go in the wrong direction, it would have an impact on the entire development system of hockey, including you know, junior A hockey. So, we're we're very interested in the outcome for sure. Um, and um, um, you know, if it were to go the wrong way, uh, you know, against the uh, the CHL, then. I think it would have a major in, impact on on uh, the, the method by which uh, or the organizations that exist currently um, um, implement their programs for you know on behalf of the, of, the, of the players uh, you know that 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 aspire to this type of activity right so um, you know and I you know I I kind of sort of try to think that through a bit in my head you know some days when I when I when I when I think of it but uh, I don't want to think too much about it because I I'm hopeful that it won't have won't happen that way but um, obviously it would it would be you know again as I say if it, if it went uh, you know in opposition to what the CHL is is arguing then it, it would be uh, it would be a, a major change and a major transition that would occur for sure and I, I don't know that in the short term it would be a good thing. Kim, I really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the uh, the rest of uh, the quote unquote off season, and uh, I'm sure uh, maybe we'll cross paths uh, down the road. Yeah, well, I would really enjoy that, Ian. Uh, just feel free to contact me anytime if you want to have some further discussion. And uh, all the best to you this summer, and we'll probably be in touch with you during the winter. Excellent. Thank you very much. You bet. Yeah. Take care. That was Kim Davis, the commissioner of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League, by request uh, from you, the listener. And I appreciate all the questions that did come in. And uh, there was a lot about that one player with who had a ton of penalty minutes. And I put a, a bit of a spin on it because I, I didn't know that if there was a backstory there or not. I, somebody tweeted a picture of uh, the two of them on the ice uh, with a trophy presentation. And it felt like a loaded question to me. So I just put a spin on it a, a little bit. But take it for what it is. Uh, and uh, I thought that was a fun interview, and I, I enjoyed that conversation with Mr. Davis and uh, look to have him on again down the road. That does it for this week's episode of the show. Next week, the final episode of Season 14. A couple of uh, interviews already confirmed. Uh, these will be potentially the last two guests of Season 14. Two more Ask the Commish segments. Josh Fenton, the uh, commissioner of the NCHC uh, conference, of the NCAA will join me as will Mark Frankenfeld, who's the uh, president and commissioner of the North American Hockey League. Those two uh, are confirmed. Still an open invitation for uh, Tom Garrity uh, from the USHL to come on next week. 
But right now, it's just the, the NCHC and the NAHL uh, that are confirmed. Reminder, uh, thanks to everybody who has signed up to be a patron. All the interviews that you, or most of the interviews that you hear on the uh, episodes, the weekly episodes of the Pipeline Show, you'll be able to hear those interviews uh, early with early access. So that's one of the perks of signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. A couple of bucks a month is what is all it takes to get that early access pass. And I appreciate that everybody who has signed up uh, to do that and help uh, support the show. After next week, one week off as uh, the family and I go uh, on a camping trip. And then we come back. Season 15 kicks off right away. By then, the Ivan Holinka tournament will be, uh, I guess, basically complete. And the Summer Showcase uh, will have uh, been wrapped up as well. So we'll be able to get right into WHL team previews. Putting a, a bit of a different spin on that this year, as I've been uh, last number of years, uh, I think almost every year, going back almost a decade, it's been the play-by-play guy for each team. Going to change that up a little bit. You can always follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy, and uh, by then I'll be able to probably tell you exactly what we're doing in terms of the WHL team previews. That's probably the, the way I'll I'll uh, announce it. Uh, also, I just finished the new intro for season 15 as well. I don't know if you guys, if, if you, uh, the, the audience cares much about the intro. Uh, it's always been a source of pride for me uh, putting that together. And I actually really like the one that I've got for season 15 now set up. I might put that on early access uh, for on the Patreon page as well. So uh, patrons will have a, a sneak peek at that. Look for that in the next uh, day or two, I would think. All right, but I got to go. So next week, a couple of interviews for sure, maybe a third, and then we'll wrap up season 14. Until next week, get out and enjoy some summer. I'll talk to you next week. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya.